On this episode, I interviewed David Dwyer, who's a physical performance manager with the Western Force. In this episode, we talked about a lot of different things with David's way of liking to incorporate fitness into things, so integrated fitness. So some of the topics we discussed, we started just currently on his role, how he collaborates with different teams, the performance medical and the coaching staff. We then talked about how he likes to design training to meet the coach's game strategy. He then kind of wanted to talk about defining integrated fitness and what it is. He talked about how he likes to integrate that into training and the ways and principles he goes about in doing that. He then talked about kind of how he designs drills with the coaching staff and makes sure that it works with the conditioning and the skills based. Talked about some examples he implements into it. Then we kind of moved into more of the strength side of things and he talked about how he tries to make things uh, carry over to the field as much as possible. So we talked about different exercises he likes to use and different ways he likes to think about it and go about doing these things um, in order to make sure they have as much carry over to the field as possible. Uh, and then we kind of figured off, ta- finished off talking about how he, you know, will try to use data as much as possible, but then there's times obviously when he needs to kind of go off about it um, and just go off more feel and the player, how they're feeling. So uh, great episode. Here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please, Have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on David Dwyer, who's a physical performance manager with the Western Force. So today's topic we're going to kind of talk about is kind of integrated fitness, ways to incorporate conditioning into training, and then kind of David's approach and different ways he views kind of uh, how he programs his strength training. So really appreciate you being on, David. If First off, you just want to give a little intro on yourself, uh, kind of your background, uh, past positions, and kind of then where you are now and what you do. Yeah, sure. Look, mate, thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's, a, it's a real privilege and pleasure. Uh, my background, let's see, I've, I've grown up in the eastern suburbs of Sydney playing rugby for a club at Randwick where my family all went to and sport was just that one thing that I always wanted to do. So, um, you know, sitting in an office didn't really necessarily appeal to me that hugely and just somehow rather being out and involved. Um, like a lot of S&C coaches out there, um, mate, I wasn't really that great at it, so I wanted to find a way that I could continue to be involved in you know, sporting and, and more team environments where I can. Um, and that's how I led into you know, doing my Bachelor of Sports Science, the Diploma of Education. Um, I figured I should do some administration stuff in behind it, so I started in an MBA program. And, um, Mate, my, my past experiences, so, you know, through Randwick and, and all those other building positions that you, you do along the way in volunteer capacities, whether it's New South Wales country rugby, where we were lucky to play some internationals against teams, uh, to, you know, being with, involved with the New South Wales Waratahs as their academy and professional academy, S&C. Uh, from there, I went and spent three and a bit years in Pakistan as the strength and conditioning coach for their national cricket team. Um, in between, there were jobs with Fiji Rugby Union uh, where we went to the 2011 World Cup, which was uh, quite incredible. Bangladesh cricket for a little bit more stint back in cricket um, uh, for a year and a half. Uh, worked a little bit in rugby league for the Canberra Raiders reserve grade team um, that were based in Sydney. I then worked at the Institute of Sport at New South Wales uh, in a combined role with the AIS and New South Wales Institute. I was working with the Canoe Slalom um, program there with Jessica Fox and, and a lot of the other athletes that are there. Um, and uh, along the way, ended up over here in Perth with the Western Force via a, a school role that I held. Awesome. Yeah, definitely breadth of experiences from different countries and sports across the years. I guess maybe now, do you just want to kind of expand upon uh, your role at the moment? Because, you know, you, you're a physical performance manager, so not only doing the strength and conditioning side, but I'm assuming having to manage people and, and figure out how to make everything work best for the players and the team. Yeah, sure. I think the, um, the role that I currently have works so well because I 
integrate on the same level as the head of the physiotherapy and medical department. Um, and he and I get on so well that, you know, it, neither of us, there's certainly no secrets kept. There's, there's nothing, any, any question that either of us have or thought that we have, we always check with the other one and, and present it on a combined basis that we feel that not only from a SNC point of view or physical preparation point of view, but a medical point of view, how's it going to affect us and is it going to get the right results that we want from every aspect. So, you know, it's, it's not just one area, but it involves others. Um, and so from that perspective, uh, you know, it's, it's been one that feel that it has worked really well and, and we've got very good sync. So that's, um, that's something that's very important to have in these sorts of organisations to make sure that everybody's on the same page and keeping up with what it is that we're trying to do within the program itself. Okay, and so do you, you kind of coordinate, obviously, the medical staff and then the coach. Do you guys have a kind of meeting sit-down, or is it just more of a free-flowing update when, when possible? No, so each morning we get together every morning. We talk about the whole roster that we've got, the list of players and what injuries that they've got and what mod- modifications that we think we're going to have to provide in based on what the sessions are that we've got planned for that day. What, what's the gym session that we've got? What's the field session that we've got? What running loads are we expecting? Um, what niggles do they have and currently concerns do we need to you know, be thinking about so that we can incorporate them where and how we can as much as possible in the rugby side of things so that we're realistically not losing um, that really important imperative uh, training that these guys need. And, and the less that they are out of training, the, the better for us because we're getting cohesion they're getting learning, they're getting rugby-specific stuff, which is, you know, sort of the crux of what we're going to talk about today, right? Yeah, definitely trying to keep them on the field as much as possible and get them as ready for rugby as possible. Um, I guess on, on your webinar, you, you mentioned a little bit about talking to the coach and figuring out the strategy he wants and then you kind of planning around that. So I thought that was a really good point you made. And uh, if you could just maybe expand upon that, how that conversation goes and, um Way, what things that has worked in the past for you and how you've kind of planned for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, what you've got to understand is the cards that you dealt. So you've got to look at the roster, you've got to look at the players that you've got and the strengths and weaknesses, and then the coach will come up with their pattern of play that they feel is going to be most successful. And, and then you've got to talk to them about that and say, well, okay, how's this going to work and what do we want to do? Um, I'll use... Japan rugby as an example for the World Cup, not the one just recently, but the one on prior. And um, and looking at from that perspective and saying, well, were Japan as physically uh, big as, say, South Africa? No, they're not. So John Pryor, in his wisdom, you know, looked at the group with Eddie and said, well, what are we going to do and how are we going to do it so that we can we can beat these guys and be not just competitive, we can win. Um, and you've got to look at the hand that you dealt and you go, right, what, what attributes do we have? What's our strengths? What's our weaknesses? And how are we going to play? Um, is it, a, for example, like South Africa did in the most recent World Cup, we're going to have a real big focus on hitting the line with these big guys and we're always going to kicking the ball up in the air and putting pressure on their players so that, and then we can go forward defensively and we can monster them in defence. So from that perspective, what do we need? We need big players... We need players that are able to break the line, that are powerful and dynamic. Um, or you like Japan, where you've got smaller players, do we need to play with speed, with pace, continuity, accuracy, and maintain the ball in play to try and fatigue these guys out? Um, so they're the discussions that you've got to have with the coach. You've got to be able to talk with them and come in sync with them to align what it is, the philosophy that they have that they want to be able to play with and put that philosophy into the way that I prepare the programs for these guys. So um, that's that's the conversations that you tend to find we'll have, um, and that'll help direct you in terms of the way that you're going to look at structuring your programming. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it makes total sense. I guess, do, do you, but do you think that is something that commonly happens? Do you see that, see that a lot? Or when you go in and you've done it in the past, that it's kind of maybe a little bit newer to coaches? And then if so, if it's, you know, if it isn't done as much or, is how important is that, do you think, compared to just, oh, I'm just going to try and make this athlete as you know strong, fast, and powerful as possible? 
Yeah, I think the overall arching theme of everything is that you want players that are bigger, better, faster and fitter and quicker, don't you? I mean, that's the that's the be-all, end-all for everybody. Um, but then the conversation's slowly starting to break down. Now you'll, you'll find a lot of coaches these days are very much in line with that and, and have a understanding... You know, and it may not be in quite as in-depth. It, it depends on the coach that you've got. Um, some of the coaches will really want to get in-depth with it and know what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. Um, does that mean I'm going to explain every rep and every set and every exercise I'm going to do? Probably not. Um, it'll probably focus more on the rugby side of things and say, well, how are we going to do it on the field and uh, why are we going to do it that way? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I guess like, do you have do you have this similar conversation conversation you did when you were in cricket? And then if so, um, what is so? If, let's say someone you know isn't maybe from a rugby background or isn't from that sport that they're working with background. Do you find that is much more difficult to kind of talk with the coaches and figure that out, or do you think it's just kind of breaking it down into the simplistics and then going from there? No, I find the conversation uh, probably the most fascinating one to have because that's. That being able to put a whiteboard up and, and give me a marker pen and come up with all these sort of programming and um, and having these think tanks of being able to get ideas up on a whiteboard and help create that program for you, for me, is the most exciting part about it. Being able to see a plan come to fruition is, is something that we all want and live for, isn't it? And that's the end result that you see when you're standing on the podium or you're at the end of the game and the whistle's gone, you look at the scoreboard and, and it shows that you've won. So to me, that's the most exciting part about it and being able to get in depth of it because then you start to find yourself going on tangents about different players and what they think is going to work and what's worked for them and what's worked in different ways and same with the coaches. So I find that really exciting to do and I really enjoy it. Um, in cricket, look, it, it, it comes in different ways. I mean, um, Bangladesh and Australia are two totally different physiological athletes, similar to what you've got with Japan and you've got with South Africa in the size department. Um, so, you know, what are we going to do and how are we going to be able to do it to make sure, number one, that the players are robust enough that they're able to be selected every single time we've got a game, that they're in the best condition possible to be allowed to provide the best performance possible um, and then you start to sometimes the conversations will get so deep and and into it which is um, for me again like I said the enjoyment of it it just depends on which coaches you've got and what background they've come from some are a little bit more simplistic about it some just trust you you know implicitly to say well go and do what you do I, I, I know you'll do it and you'll do it right as long as you're explaining it to them and how it's all set out, what you want to achieve and the way you want to achieve it. Um, you know, 99 times out of 100, you hope that it'll it'll work out the way that you want it to. Yeah, definitely. So just making sure that communication, I guess, is really open and kind of flowing well between everyone, as you talked about even beforehand. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge key. And, and being able to understand that everyone's offering something and tr- being trusting in that and going, okay, he's not just saying this because... He read it in Who magazine, um, you know, when he was getting his hair cut, uh, that he knows what he's doing, that he's experienced enough to do it. If you've got questions, pose them and let's let's pose them in a way that everybody's willing to listen and, and not feel threatened. And you, you, you're going to come up with the best possible scenario then and the best program. Definitely. So you talk kind of about, you know, the importance of talking to the coach on the strategy and then in your webinar, again, you talk about integrated fitness. So maybe you kind of explain how, you know, you like to do this, how you like to incorporate fitness training sessions within a practice, um, and then how you kind of go about designing that, I guess, with the coach. Because, I mean, I know, like we said, making sure you talk about the specific game plan and so on, but then how does that actual planning go of, we, you know, we want, you know, this is a strategy we want to play, so we want to make sure these drills you know, work this and then so on with the coach, I guess. Yeah, I guess the thing that I was really looking to implement this year and, and on you know, going was um, peak game intensity and understanding what the speeds are within a game of rugby itself. So what happens when the ball's in play? That's, that seems to be, you know, 
to me, a very logical thing to think about. What's going on with the athlete when the ball's in play? How quick are they going? What's their speed? Okay, so what's what what then comes up with what we consider um, below game speed? What are the average within um, that's considered game pace? And then what would we consider above game pace? And then in any training um, program that you write, when you when you're in pre-season you're obviously wanting to try and train harder than the game itself for longer than the game itself so that when it comes to the game they feel like this thing's easy and they're able to cope with what's going on there with a, a an absolute ease um and no problems at all and that's that's to me where i was wanting to try and really direct my focus in that um in, in peak game intensity let's try and train the guys to be able to have a work rate that's faster than what the game is and that um, uh, period of you know, worst-case scenarios. So, for example, the perfect example is the Wallaby Test match on the weekend. They went into eight minutes of overtime. And it went from end to end, twice. So they were on their goal line. They didn't have the ball. Then they went down there. And, and you know, are you able to come out at the 88th minute at the same speeds, you know, and the same pace and the same work rate to outwork the opposition. So being able to incorporate that into our training sessions, I mean, um, you know, that's where I thought that the um, the real value of the program and the conditioning side of things was was heading and where I wanted to take it. Um, uh, so looking at that, then how do we incorporate that into our sessions? Um, or wanted to make sure that it was on our, uh, our big days that we had and in leading to a weekend to give them enough time to freshen up. Um, you know, you then got to look at pre-season as to in-season, when can I incorporate it, how do we incorporate it, um, what players we got, can they cope with it, what am I expecting? Um, so being able to integrate that is a, is a real art and, and I think that's something that's becoming a lot more prevalent in terms of... Uh, programming within conditioning itself yes do you, so when you mean integrated do you literally mean integrate the fitness within like drills that the coach will want to do or ball drills or anything like that or do you just mean integrate it as in trying to make it as close to game like as possible with us we felt the best uh, value for money was to try and make sure that our skill level was exceptional was as best as it possibly could be. So there was very rare times that I would incorporate, um, over the last couple of years anyway, uh, extra top-up conditioning. We would get it all within drill. Now, that may be right or that may be wrong. Um, I was certainly looking to try and incorporate uh, for this next pre-season periods where we would have, for example, that um, peak game intensity happening. So like within our multi-phase section, let's have a period of it for, say, um, two minutes. And then we'll have two minutes of um, conditioning, just straight line running, where you'll always find you're going to get a lot higher speeds so that their heart rates and their speeds are going to be a lot higher um, than that would be within drill. Depending on the rules, depending on what sort of... Um, Modifications you've got within the drill itself to allow that to happen. Is there kick chase? Do we only have 13 on the field? Um, is the ball in play all the time? So you're allowed to kick it. If a ball goes out, can we just automatically throw it in? Or have we got a time count on the line out happening and maintain the, the pace of the game? So that was um, something that we were looking at trying to incorporate for this next preseason, yeah, including yeah, drills... And, and skills, and then also having just separate conditioning. Um, we haven't done a lot of that, but again, it was something that I thought we would definitely bring in for this preseason. Okay. Do you, do you find that when you kind of do that more incorporated and you make more of the drills, do you find that the athletes don't realize as much that it is conditioning and maybe try a little bit harder, get a little bit more benefit out of it in your, in your eyes and your experiences, and that's partially why you do it as well? Yeah, look, definitely. I mean, running a, a VO2 grid as compared to doing it in drill, you're certainly going to get um, a... I won't say... It, you are going to be able to hide that component to a certain extent. 
you know, you, you walk around and you collect RPEs and, and a lot of them will be able to tell you, oh, no, we got touched up there. That was a tough hit out. <laughs> you know, what was the case in that? Um, at this level, you, you're tending to find a lot of people quite tuned in to the intensities and what was uh, a big session, what was a little session. Um, you know, including straight line running within that sort of framework, I think, as I explained, that two-minute um, bouts, Let's say you would have four of those and then in between you have two or three bouts of just uh, two minutes of VO2 grid running. You're going to have a period of time there of 20 minutes where they are really pushing limits, you know. And that's the art of being able to uh, periodise that so that you can cope with it, build it, build it without the injuries that are going to occur and the niggles that come from that sort of um, system and structure. Yeah, so then it will give you a little bit of... um I guess, yeah, as you said, kind of structure to be able to kind of compare to and build off of. Um, and then it gives you a little bit of time to program, you know, your straight line, straight line running and combine it with the drills. And then that you find that to work very well. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's, it's horses for courses. It depends on the, um, on the team that you've got and the, their capacity. Is their skill level exceptional or is it horribly poor? Um, you know, so therefore, are we going to get more bang for buck in just doing skill work, or do I just straight line run these guys? In which case, you know, that brings you with some real different data um, when you're doing that sort of stuff. Okay, yeah. So then maybe even, you know, you're trying to get the best of both worlds. Where sometimes, obviously, it's going to be different for teams. If you know, as you said, their their skills are terrible, so the first thing that's going to be most important is getting them to be good at their sport. Whereas sometimes, if they're just so fatigued and fitness, maybe you go over towards the fitness side if their skills are going all right. So it's kind of obviously just back and forth in between. Yeah, exactly right. That's yeah. And you've already got pre-planned your loads that you wanted to get from that session and out of it. So how do we go about doing that? Again, the way where we were, we thought we were going to get um, the best uh, value for money by doing it through skill work. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you... Th- you think it has helped or have the coaches said anything about maybe them being able to do these skills on fatigue has helped throughout the games with kind of creating that um, ability to push through and to keep the skills up even under fatigue in games as well? Absolutely, because, you know, when you're doing these small-sided games and drills and skills, you've got so many other elements that are going on rather than that little white noise in your head when you're running a, a VO2 grid or, or the, you know, the the different fitness that we've prescribed it's just all straight line running all it is is just you in your head going can i do this or can i not how far can i push in these drills and skill games you've got communication you've got decision making fatigue you've got the skill itself you've got the rules you've got to be listening to other people and and all these different facets that make up what happens actually in a game and again being able to do that and making sure that we're our patterns of play and the things that we want to do out of a game of rugby is um, is identical to what we're practicing and we're under that pressure. Okay. So like with developing these small side of games, kind of get the fitness in and get the skills up as well. What, how do you, I guess like what, what goes in through your mind when trying to design them in order to get the proper fitness that you want along with maybe talking along with getting the skills that you want um, and so on. So like, I guess kind of how, how does, what goes through your head and what's the process of designing these to make it all, all work together. When we do the skills, um, the skills will tend to give me a far more accurate understanding of uh, what a game reflects and, and what we get within game. When we're doing the small-sided games, depending on how you mix them up and what the rules are and the, um, the different uh, dimensions of the game and the length of time that you're playing for and who's playing who, you can sometimes get some really ex- Extended data, and by that what I mean is that you're getting um, higher readings than you probably would in a normal game. Now, is that good? Sometimes it is, but do I want a, a hooker running exactly the same amount as a fullback or a winger? Not all the time, you know. You that way you're really starting to push what their load limit is, and having them reflect what a, a fullback does, and that's. That's not always quite right, and you've got to be careful because that can then lead to um, to injuries at times. 
the skills themselves are far more reflective, I find, of giving us the, the data that we were wanting. Um, but again, they, you know, small-sided games do, do come in from time to time and, and do give you that really good level of fitness, again, hiding it by using a game and, and having a, a drill or a skill that they've got to be involved in, which is more enjoyable. Um, yeah, and yeah. then when you're looking at straight-line running, well, then you're looking at getting you know anywhere between one and a half to two times um, the effect of what you were probably trying to get from it, and it's going to explode all your your different measures that you're trying to keep control of. Yeah, so I guess maybe that's kind of the biggest thing uh, when looking at it too is in deciding on what to do is, as you mentioned, maybe your small side of games is a little more chaotic and you're not going to be able to control as much what they do, whereas your skill is probably that maybe more in the middle of being able to control while still getting the benefits and then your straight line running is obviously just going to be you know, that conditioning. You say kind of that's maybe more of a, a way to look at it? Yeah, absolutely. And look, I'll give you a perfect example is that in, in, uh, during COVID, we we obviously all went and isolated at home but you're allowed out from time to time to be able to do things fitness in the park so we were probably limited in the amount that you can do with them straight line running was was predominantly what they were able to do you know with a lot of up down a lot of rolls a lot of you know um sort of zoo fitness uh, primal <laughs> primal work that you can incorporate in there so uh, you know you would tend to find where you would want for example, uh, uh, an inside back to get per week maybe a top of 1,500 metres of high-speed running, straight-line running, depending on what you're doing, um, I, could, I could almost get 1,500 metres by doing uh, three sets of 1050s on the 10 uh, with 10 rest. And that's just, that's just three little hits there. That's the whole week crammed into half a session that you've prescribed. Um, and how are they going to be able to tolerate that and the nervous system cope with it so that you're not hammering away at it and next thing you know you've, you've pinged a, a player's hammy. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the real um, essence of what you've got to try and keep under control and, and doing all that straight line running is great and you'll get results out of it but you know, does that then limit the amount of drill work that you want to do and, and to every coach being able to do multiple drills is more important than yeah, most of the time than being able to run 100 meters in a straight line. Definitely. So then maybe too, another way to look at it, would you say that being able to more integrate it and use that tracking the drills as fitness, then you're able to track the athletes more? I mean, obviously, if you have GPS, it'll be it'll be easy. But for maybe clubs that don't have GPS, if you plan your, your um, conditioning within the skills, you know, then you're kind of getting their skills running as well. Whereas if you didn't, you know, you're going to plan your conditioning, but then you don't really know what the coach is doing within the skills. And then, you know, you could, as you said, overload them and, and without knowing. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Um, and look, you know, I don't have um, actual hard and fast data, but I guess, you know, try and use it as a rule of thumb to a certain extent. And, and just if you've got GPS units, use it and trial it and test it yourself. But I guess I'd look at using um, skill as being my my um, number one, uh, you know, sorry, drill. Drill time is number one, and that'll give me effective data. If I go into uh, conditioning games, then I, I feel, and this is just my personal viewpoint, I don't have all the data to back it up just yet, um, that you're probably going to find you're going to get one and a half times what you need for that particular week that you'd already set out in terms of your program loads. When you incorporate straight line running, that's where you've got the potential to get anywhere between one and a half plus times um, the effect of what you probably prescribed in terms of total distance, high speed running and very high speed running. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So, so, yes. Cause they're not, yeah. Cause like I said, maybe just because of the fact, you know, you got you and coach are on the same page and planning your session as one. Like I said, it's just, it's like doing, killing two birds with one stone. Um, just kind of getting all in one. So what kind of going into those skill sessions, how do you, or is it, is it, is it pretty easy and relatively equal um, where, where the coach is, you know, really wanting skills to be perfect, but you're also, you know, not wanting the coach to stop them every two seconds to have a chat about what they're doing to still get the benefit of conditioning. So how, how do you walk that line or is there a line or how do you, how do you make sure that works of emphasizing the fitness along with the skill? 
Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, there will be some coaches that just understand that, you know, after the fifth drop pass, hang on a minute, stop, this is what we're doing. And, and that'll occur from time to time. And, um, I guess there are so many different ways to be able to bring that up. It just depends on the relationship that you've got with the coach and being able to do that. But um, the the sum of it would be that I will give a report at the end of that. I'll have had a target work rate, metres per minute, that I'd suggested that we cover as an average across the board of that session. So whether it was, for example, 70 metres a minute or 80 or whatever it was. Um, and I'll have a look at the report at the end of the session. And if there's a number of those sessions that don't hit the speeds that we want, well, then you've got an issue. And that that then brings up the conversation that we have and go, well, why does that? And if you can, if you're lucky enough and you've got GPS and you can look at the number of times that we stopped and had breaks... Um, that lies the answer, I think, to a certain extent. Yeah, definitely. Do, do you maybe, I guess, want to give like one or two examples of, of ways you've, I mean, you, you talked a little, about, a little bit about things, but maybe like one or two drills that you've used. And I know obviously rugby is just one sport, but just so get an idea of, like I said, how you do it and then how you actually implement um, doing a skill, but still getting condi- conditioning in and, and what your goals are of it. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, it could be anything. I, I could be, um, you know, looking at, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to look at the GPS as it comes through life, okay? And I'll be able to look at it and say, well, our average work rate that'll tell me will be that we're at currently um, uh, 62 metres a minute. And I'll be able to go up to the coach and say, well, hey, look, we're at 62, we planned at 80. We need to try and ramp things up. And, and we do it on the run, and he's been great to be able to talk to and, and come out with that sort of information and he'll radio back and say, now, after I might have made a suggestion, hey, let's include some kick chase um, or have a second or third ball. So you just yell out, stop, new ball, and he rolls a ball out. And then there's all of a sudden one team who's uh, got a counter attack and move on so that we're starting to get the speeds up um, and running in that particular drill. So... Sometimes it's just a very basic communication through to the coach and say, hey, we're, we're operating way lower than what we should be. Um, you know, you've also got a training pro- program or a training plan. You look at that and understand that of oh, this particular drill, we're probably not going to hit what we want um, as an overall average, but know that we're going to get it in the next one because we're going to be a lot higher. And, um, you know, we, we built up over time um, and started to develop the skills database so that we can type in you know what would one minute of this drill give us on average that we've had over the past period of time and then we've got an estimate and once you've got that you can then adjust the drill depending on what they want to achieve as a coach within the session because it might be look we're doing a clean out drill but is it multiple clean outs with a skill on the end of it like a, a back line and you can start to incorporate real changes from that to reflect what it is that you want to achieve as a coach as an SNC, feeding that information, changing might help get you the increase in the speed that you want. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, it's interesting. So you can even what you guys have done is get the general averages for different drills to the minutes even, and then if you like I said ramping it up or down, you can just add in little variances to 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 get your ideal goal, I guess, right? Yeah, and then you've got a drop down menu, and literally you can just go right. Here's our training plan. This is the coaches go. This is what we want to do. And they just click a button, click down, click down. Next thing you know, you've got a training plan and it's already given them an estimate of what we're going to run in distance. Metres per minute, high speed, very high speed. And hopefully we've got a, a little bit more accurate understanding of what we're going to get out of that particular session. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, definitely. If GPS was that accessible, it'd be nice. But <laughs> um, I guess we've definitely talked about the the conditioning side of your kind of, kind of what you're saying with your integrated fitness. So I guess... Maybe the next step we can move on uh, will be more of of the strength strength side of things, and how you. I mean, I know some people like the term, some people don't of, of sport sport specific training. So obviously, it doesn't mean you're doing crazy stuff with a rugby ball in the middle of a strength strength program. But the ability to to try and mimic movements or you know mimic as close to the demands that, as you were saying beforehand in the weight room as you will um, entail on the field. I guess do you kind of want to talk about your principles behind that as well. Yeah, look, you know, again, it depends on the people that you've got. I mean, I know that, for example, the Crusaders have done in the past, um, and other teams for that matter, you know, the coaches will come in in the middle of the, the, 
the gym session and they're planned that this group of guys at this time come over and they do five minutes of some skill work, just passing. Um, and being able to incorporate that, uh, you, you can probably get so wound up in it that your whole session almost reflects a rugby game to a certain extent in the actions that they're doing. Um, and if you really delve deep into it, well, every exercise, I mean, a bench press can reflect you being on the ground and pushing yourself up, right? Getting up off the ground and returning back to action and getting into position quickly. Um, you know, there's so many of it there and so many reasons why you're putting it in and incorporating it um, to be able to get the desired effect that you want. Depends on, for me, the age, the training age of the athlete that you've therefore got and trying to put them into groups. So if I'm able to put them into three groups, um, beginners, intermediate and advanced. Um, and then you start to incorporate into those programs what it is that you're going to get the most out of for that particular person. Um, and, you know, there have been times where you'll incorporate drills that everyone does. So a skill or, a, or a, an exercise might be where you've got one of those big two long metre green bands tied up to something and you've got a number seven and he's just done a, a strength exercise and then he's gone into a power exercise and the power exercise might be exploding um, uh, out of a standing start into a jackal position and getting getting knocked over. But we've worked over that three to five metres of his acceleration and his speed. Not only that, his strength on ball while he's getting hit and being able to maintain his shape in an isometric position for five seconds. You've therefore covered just such a, a gamut of um, of the exercises involved and, and the metabolic details that you want to get into that particular lift um, within the, the the program itself that you're hopefully adding to what's going to be you know seen in training sessions on the field um, you know you can you can get as cute as uh, having the the barbell isolation you know static hold so that you're getting those calf positions and the hip positions um, you know it, it really again depends on the training age of the player and their ability level so that I reflect what it is that I want from them, progressing them forward and always have one eye looking towards what the next three years looks like, not just the next three weeks. Um, if there was one thing I learnt in my time at the Waratahs, it was making sure that um, we understood that what's this training cycle doing and how's it bettering what we do for this next training block and, and what's it leading to. Okay, yeah, so having a, obviously having a long-term plan, but then also making sure what you're planning is going to be affecting um, each level of player is going to be a little bit different as well. Uh, so for, I think one thing too that you guys did well in the webinar was breaking down the specifics for the sport do you maybe want to talk a little bit about how you kind of do that where you break down you know you look at the running you look at their pass catch tackle lifting jumping scrummaging as you were talking about and kind of take pieces from there and then say look this is how a way we could utilize or work on that within the weight room setting um, to improve that in the field oh, yeah absolutely i mean i, th I think i mentioned before um john Pryor and someone that i've really looked um, you know, up to uh, in, in terms of his philosophies within his training se sessions and programming, and you see him using a lot of the aqua bag um, movements to try and assist certainly a lot of their core development, that balance, that not wanting to get leaking when they're running and their hip movements. Um, but then it's also, isn't it? It's multi directional strength because the water is moving around everywhere and being able to maintain shape and strength within all their actions that they perform is, is certainly a critical goal to have as a player. You don't want to be up in a line-out but losing your shape. You don't want to be you know, a lock in a scrum and, and being moved off balance and, and wiggling everywhere because all of a sudden just a little bit more force is starting to apply. You want to be able to keep your shape, keep your position to provide the most force possible so that we get the scrum to, to happen the way that we want to. Um, you know, you're looking at backs and being able to throw now these long bridge passes that they do and having the strength to be able to do that and utilising the aqua bags to, to try and help that, but not just that, and using it to be able to maybe land and, and land correctly with a little bit of movement to it so that you're, you keep your shape and you, 
You know, we're looking after things like, for example, ACLs when they're landing. So there's just so many different um, ways of utilising those within the program itself that I, I find that a real fundamental in, in what we try to progress them to. But again, like I said in the last section, we have got to understand what the current athlete that we've got in front of us, their ability level and what their needs, what their strengths and what their weaknesses are so that we can then you know, provide it. And it might be that we drip feed it, it might be that we put it all in one go or we might scatter it out. Um, it just all depends on what they need to, to do and achieve to get the right result, you know, not only for that year but going forward so that you're looking at how improving the, the player you know, beyond when they leave me. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you ha- when you kind of have these more specific type goals for rugby, is that like all year long or do you have kind of more of a general phase you know, in that off-season, pre-season phase, um, and then kind of get more sports, or I guess specific towards it um, as you get closer to season? Or is it, again, that year-round thing? I think you've got to have it all year-round to a certain extent. Again, it will depend on um, uh, the athlete and their their training age. So, you know, putting a guy who's um, 30 years plus and in his 10th to 12th year of a pre-season, um, having them just sit underneath a bar may not necessarily be the right outcome for them. Um, it might be that we're better off making them focus in and around their, uh, their rugby-specific side of things. Um, you know, there will be times where we need to uh, put in... what We've got this scrum truck machine that's weighted and we're able to just get in single position where the load's on it, you put all the weight plates on it and they're able to push through, maintaining their shape in the way that the, the scrum coach wants them to be able to push. Um, you know, putting that in at certain times, and it may not necessarily be too early because you want to reduce the axial load on, on some of the older guys' necks and give them the most amount of time of freedom as you can where they're not getting all that axial load on their shoulders and their neck. But as it gets closer to the season, well, they need to start getting that, don't they, and dosed with it so that when the first um, trial game comes along and they come out of it, they go, well, geez, that was the first time I'd felt that, so it was, it was too late. Um, now, when do you start putting neck-strengthening exercises in? When do we start putting in Nordics or our variation of uh, hamstring health in, calf health, Achilles, you know, looking after that, when do we start to drip-feed that in? I think you look at it all year round, but as to how much and you incorporate it depends on what time of the year you do. Um, and again, you know, it might be that we focus a lot more on the older athlete and less on the young, but it could be the reverse too. Okay. So yeah, definitely just individualizing it and depending upon everything. Um, I guess one thing I've noticed talking to a lot of rugby coaches is they tend have a tendency to get like, will offer some choice to their athlete as well. Do you, do you do that? Or where like, obviously you have, you know, Exercise 1A is this, but it can be between these two different exercises depending on the player, injuries, and so on. Um, are you a little bit more strict with it? And then also um, with kind of the specific things we talked about and as you talked about initially with working with the medical team, um, how do you guys incorporate those specific exercises for injury risk reduction or late stage coming back from an injury within your programs? Yeah, again, it'll depend on the age of the person, but I do, I, I personally do provide a certain amount of freedom. The younger guys, they will get. Um, th- there was a guy. Uh, well, there was. There is a guy who, again, who I've looked um, up to. A guy named Ashley Jones, who had this system, um, the degrees of freedom, and so it would probably be more um, holistic necessarily. But but I'm sure that it it uh, it worked within the program itself. Um, individually, and that is so he gave degrees of freedom based on your experience, um, your age, and uh, and and what you've achieved within the game itself. So, like I described, you know, that guy who's probably played for the All Blacks, who's played uh, almost a hundred Test matches, ten years of rugby at the Crusaders when he was there, um, and it's Richie McCall. Right, oh Richie, I think you've done enough to understand your body and how it works. So. You had all the degrees of freedom. I think it was three, three degrees of freedom. So what do you want to do? Your session, it's your session. You tell me what you need and we will write that according. And then 
the guy beneath him, right? You get two degrees of freedom, what it is that we need to incorporate that. And then there's the younger player. No, you're on this. These are the reasons why I need you to follow it. Um, there was a lot of occasions where a player would say to me, look, I've got tendonitis in my wrist. I can't, I can't do a normal bench press. That way I'm going to have to do it in neutral grip. We make, the, we make the adjustments occasionally on the spot right there and then. And it's, as long as they're getting the necessary stimulus, I don't have a problem with it. If they look like they're trying to get out of something, well, then there's a, there's a different reason. There's a different answer. Um, so from that perspective, you know, it's, it's certainly something that you've got to roll with in, in bits and pieces as it goes, I, I find. Um, and you'll get the best result because they're coming up to you. Hopefully they're telling you the truth. And you're getting that respect and, and the truth that each of you provide and, and making those sorts of modifications is a, a no-brainer. It's easy, you're happy, and everyone gets what they need. Um, when you come to prescribing guys, there are occasions in our medical meeting in the morning when we meet up and we go through it and we understand what we've got for the day. It might be, listen, so-and-so's got uh, a little bit of... Um, uh, tightness in their in their calf or in their hamstring. So today, squats, we're going to adjust them. Let's do a box squat or let's not do as deep a squat or um, so-and-so's shoulders giving them an issue. So rather than doing a back squat, let's belt squat them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so those sorts of adjustments are, are made early on in the piece, but then sometimes you've got to make them on the run. Definitely. I guess kind of building off that with, adjusting the weight room obviously is i guess you know relatively you know something that happens quite often with with the gps data and ability to adjust with that how often do you guys sometimes even will go yeah okay this is what we want with the gps data this is what you know was supposed to be planned this is how they're supposed to be feeling but sometimes maybe you know there's you know it's it's been really crazy travel schedule it's been this and that a lot of outside things going on how often do you go okay maybe this we need to go off the gps or we need to go off of the velocity if you're doing um, lifting or the, the loads that you wanted. You know, how often does that happen to you? Oh, it happens regularly. I mean, um, you know, you, you might have come up, you know, to uh, a venue and, and it's been sunny for, for six days of 22 degrees, the best playing um, uh, climate possible and then on Saturday it rains cats and dogs you've got doms raging throughout everybody's lower body and you know what you had already planned for Monday Tuesday and Thursday and Friday sessions the following week are almost out the door because you've got a crazy travel schedule that's happened or a, you've got a flight that's delayed or the you know the weather's caused this and so on so you you've got to roll with it you adjust it daily um, sometimes you've got to adjust it in the middle of session um, you know, you've just got to try and have a gauge on the tempo of the player and what they're coming up with. And that's where having a, um, a smarter base or an athlete management system that we use to gauge or at least get an understanding of what they're feeling like. You get to learn, you know, those guys who rate high, those guys who rate low you really get an understanding over time and, and never underestimate the value of the experience and length of time with players. You develop that rapport, you develop that understanding of how their bodies really tick. Um, and that way you can then start to get a gauge on how they're feeling and do we back off or do we go harder? Um, and, and you make it according so that you get the best result for what you're trying to do. Mm. So while all the data and everything's you know great for a lot of things, you know sometimes you'll have to go off of it, obviously to you know meet the player in the middle of where they're actually feeling. Mate, sometimes you know having the GPS is terrific, <laughs> and other times going back to the old days of throwing rocks, um, you know gives you a better a better understanding. It's always terrific to read the the athlete management um, questionnaire that they fill in every morning on their wellness, but. You know, that, that's great, and I, I'll read that, but then the big thing is to go out onto the mat when they're first arriving or in the kitchen, shake hands with every single one of them and ask them how they are. Um, yep. You know, you, you've noticed that so-and-so's got stress. Well, did you happen to know that um, he was moving on the weekend and didn't have any of his mates show up, so he's had to move the whole time, and that's why he's so stiff and sore, even though you had the weekend off or... 
Um, you know, it's, it's amazing what happens when you actually go and talk to the individual and get a better understanding behind you know, what they've put into a computer. Definitely. Definitely. Well, yeah, thank you very much for, for the episode. If, do you just want to give maybe some summary, some of your main takeaways and summary points you, you would say um, from the episode of the things we've discussed? Oh, wow. Um, how do I knock all that an hour's worth down into that? Uh, look, I guess from my experiences, know what you are setting out to do. So having your plan about how you want to play and your philosophies, have them aligned with your philosophies in, in the way that you program. Um, you want to make sure it's specific enough, but you're getting the right stimulus and, um, and never underestimate how important it is to be able to have all the players on the field as, as often as possible. Um, you know, and that's not running scared from your programming, but at the same time being common sense and having a, a, a feeling for what you're prescribing and what the effect is going to be. Um, and, and from there, look, you, sometimes, like you've said, you've got to use your gut instinct a little bit more um, than rather than being filled with all this information that sometimes you know, hides or doesn't provide the full information that you're looking for. Yep, definitely. Well, yeah, thanks again. Thank you very much for being on. If you just want to maybe shout out where people, if they want to you know, get in touch with you, ask questions or something, um, where they can find you there. Yeah, um, I am hardly the uh, the guy that's pushing my own barrow <laughs> hard and fast on social media. But look, I've got a private Instagram account. It's Dave JD One Nine, and uh, you know, a couple of people have asked questions there. So if you want to direct message me there, that'd be great. Um, Twitter, I'm on there at David underscore Dwyer, uh, or, or LinkedIn, um, and you know, hopefully get me on any of those three and. I'd love to chat more about it. It's it's a passion of mine and I love speaking to people about it and hearing other people's um, fascinating stories about what they've done in, in different sports as well. Perfect. Well, thank you again. Thank you very much for being on. Appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you've enjoyed the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on iTunes, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning and injury and rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on Facebook at Coach Patrick Wood, on Twitter at Coach Patty Wood, and on my website www.patrick-wood.com. All of this can be found in the show notes. Thank you for listening.